Hello and good day everyone. Thank you for tuning in today uh, to this episode of Theus Secularia, the Hypocritical. Uh, real quick, as a reminder, this podcast is listener supported. Uh, so if you are enjoying Theus Secularia, the Hypocritical, I uh, do consider supporting this podcast by visiting our web store at www.theussecularia.com. And there you'll find um, themed t-shirts, caps, tote bags, and much more. Uh, these are all ways just to show your love and support for these Secularia, uh, the hypocritical podcast. Okay, um, let's get started here. Uh, today's episode is called Bibliographic Illusions. Um... And, and what we're going to discuss today is the accuracy of transmission. That means how accurately was the scriptures passed down through the annals of time. Um, I came to this topic because so many times I've encountered the argument that the Bible has been corrupted as it was passed down through the annals of time. Um, I don't believe that, and I have a really good reason uh, not to believe it, and I'll share that with you now. Uh, many skeptics and even um, some secular scholars even believe, well, not even just not just a secular scholar, unfortunately, even some um, so-called evangelical scholars, they, they seem to believe that the... Um, um, that the New Testament books were written a lot later than uh, what was reported, and that they were not written by the apostles themselves. Okay, now I don't. I contest that. I don't. I, I challenge that on every level, um, because from my studies and my learning, that doesn't fit into scholarship at all, in no way, fashion, or form. Uh, but anyhow, let's see here. Well. Let's start with the first century, <laughs> naturally. Of course, that's when the, the, uh, the New Testament was created um, in the first century. It's a first century Greek antiquous document, okay? Um, it's a Greek document, yes. It was uh, the, the original scriptures were written in, he, um, in, not in Hebrew, written in Koine Greek. Koine meaning common. Uh, Greek was the common language um, uh, at that time. As a, as a direct ramification of um, Alexander the Great's Hellenization of the known world. Okay. Now, I think it was brilliant of God to have the original, um, have the New Testament written in Greek, in Koine Greek, seeing that it was the common language of the poor folk. Okay. And it was also, and, um, and also um, the... The language of the aristocrat was Latin uh, during that time, okay, during that period. Um, and I thought that was pretty providential and extremely interesting myself, that God would um, have the New Testament written in the most uh, pervasive language at the time. Good going, Lord. So... Um, 
as I mentioned, the name of this podcast is Bibliographical um, Illusions. So the reason why I call it that, um, um, that I named it that is uh, a spinoff of the, uh, the biblio, what they call a bibliographical test. And um, in this bibliographical test, one can measure the distance between an original composition and the next available copy. Okay. So now from the original composition, my, let's use live examples here. Let's say the war commentaries of Caesar. Okay. Now remember everything that I'm telling you, you go and research these things yourself. I don't have anything in front of me, a computer or anything. So I'm coming, um, I'm coming off the head with this, uh, with my information. And it's all good information though. But anyhow, yeah, just just always go behind me and research everything um, that you that you get from me. But anyhow, um, so the bibliographical test, um, one of its functions is to determine the distance between an original composition and the next available copy. So for instance, the war commentaries of Caesar is approximately 950 years from the original composition that Caesar was supposed to have written himself, okay? Um, from the original composition to the next available copy to us, all right? It's 950 years. So ideally here, the greater distance between the two bodies, um, the the uh, the higher the probability is for additions, deletions, and errors in the text. Next, we have the works of Plato. Uh, Plato's works are dated around 1,200 years from the original composition to the next available copy. And we have Aristotle. Aristotle is 1,500 years from the original composition to the next available copy. Uh, out of all of the works of literature in Greek antiquity, I think the second best that it gets is Virgil. The poems of Virgil are dated at 300 years from the original composition to the next available copy. Now, what's number one on the list here? <laughs> you know it. The Bible. The scriptures. We have a fragment of the book of John. Now, on this fragment of the book of John, it was dated 24 years from the original composition to the next available copy. Now, that's amazing. Now, no other Greek work that we have discovered thus far has come anywhere near close as the New Testament. In its bibliographical representation. Next in line is the Chester and Beatty Bodmer Papyrus, uh, which was dated between 250 and 300 years um, from the original composition to the next available copy. Today we have um, over 24,000 extant copies of the New Testament. And 19,000 of those copies are in um, different languages. Okay, Syriac, Armenian, and a bunch of different languages in the surrounding area. Uh, which makes sense to me, seeing that the gospel was um, intentionally being propagated. Okay, that's what it was supposed to do. Was to end up in 
every language on earth known to man. Okay. 5,000 of the copies um, of those extant copies are in Greek. Okay. Now, some skeptics try to use that as ammunition against um, the integrity of the, of the New Testament scriptures by saying that, oh, well, they say, some of them say different things. And there are variant, you know, there are variant writings um, uh, um, in our scriptures. But that's fine. That's not a that's that's not a problem. It makes sense because everything doesn't translate into each language as uh, as well, um, very well. Like everything doesn't translate from from Greek into English very well. There's a, a whole lot of stuff that's that's left out in translation. But the advantage of having so many varying copies is this: if we come to a passage of scripture that's ambiguous or is not clear, we have the resources to go to other. Um, uh, scriptures, or not not different scripture, but just other sources of scripture to compare uh, what's been said, okay, and what was in what the writer was intending uh, to say. We can make comparisons and come up with a clear conclusion, um, and that's very important, okay. So we have uh, we okay we've established that through the John Ryland papyrus. Okay, that the um, from the original composition to the next available copy is 24 years in reference to the New Testament. So we do have um, a first century New Testament text. All right. And according to the Chester and Beatme Bible Papyrus, we have a, a third century, uh, a second century and a third century text. Okay. Now, um, so basically, what I'm saying is we have copies of the New Testament in every century, all the way until 1440. And what occurred in 1440? The Gutenberg Press. The false invention of the printing press. <laughs> well, the reason I call it a false print uh, the, uh, a false um, <laughs> invention of the printing press is because Gutenberg didn't invent the press. The Chinese had invented a press already using wooden blocks in, what was it, 860? <laughs> like 600 years before Gutenberg. But anyhow, um, as far as the, the, the West is concerned, Gutenberg's press was very, very important. And his press is very important for the sake of um, this podcast as well. Because we have copies of the New Testament from the first century all the way to the Gutenberg Press, where the first thing that was actually printed on that press was the, was um, was the Bible. So, because we have copies of the New Testament in every century, where could there have been room or time or um, the ingenuity to corrupt the Scriptures to make them say things that were not intended for them to say? You know, because because the John um, 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 the John Ryland papyrus shows us that the Apostle John was still alive during the time that this fragment was produced because it is dated 24 years from the original that John created okay so in my mind I'm visioning this this is what I'm visioning that if I want to corrupt a book of such uh, great importance I think the only way to do it would be to well, actually, there's two ways that that this can. Uh, is, there's two ways that this can go. Um, if the Bible was in a situation as the Quran, 
where the Quran has no other, has no standard. And there is only one Quran. Because there is only one Quran in existence, then you can take it and make it say anything that you want it to say. Right? Because there are no other extant copies available to challenge the authority of that text. All right? So we don't have that problem with the scriptures because we do have so many copies of the scriptures. And the beautiful thing is that 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 though there are variant writings in some of those texts, none of those writings change the theological import of what was being communicated in reference to salvific faith. Okay? There's nothing in the text, in those variant texts, that denies the deity of Jesus Christ. There's not one of those 24,000 texts that denied the existence of the Holy Spirit, the existence of the Trinity. Okay? Um, and, 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 and these things are very important um, to understand. Because tell me where... Tell me where and how could the scriptures have been perverted? You would have to go out and destroy all 24,000 of those copies and do some more digging and digging up all of the rest of the text that's available for us um, in hiding and destroy them all and leave only a small portion of text. Maybe two or three books. Then you can take them and manipulate them and make them say and do anything you want them to do. Now there are books out there like that. That claim to be written by apostles or written by prophets. And those books we call pseudopigraphal gospels. Or Gnostic gospels. Uh, we have the Shepherd of Hermas. Uh, we have uh, the Apocalypse of Peter. The Book of Thomas. And those books were not admitted. Um, were not admitted um, uh, by Nicaea. By the Council of Nicaea, uh, for for really good reasons. Like say, for instance, the Book of Thomas. There's a conversation between Jesus and Peter, where um, Jesus mentions something about um, about about translating women into men so that they may enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now we know that's absurd, and Thomas would never write something like that. All right. Now, as a man, he could write something like that, but as a man under the power and influential nature of the Holy Spirit and being guided what to say. No, he would have never written a thing like that. But as I said, those books, um, there are books out there and um, that that um, that do challenge the you know the 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 uh, um, the, uh, uh, the the integrity of Christian orthodoxy. You know, there's a lot of challenges out there. But yeah, so so my point is this. I'll repeat it again. That I don't see where, um, down the annals of time, that the New Testament could have been corrupted. I mean, really use your common sense and, you know, and put this together. You know, I mean, really think about this. You know, there are so many available copies of the New Testament spread out all over the world. And they all come down to the same conclusions for redemptive significance. They all reiterate the same conclusion for redemptive histories. All right? 
There is complete and total harmony here in the text. And they were not corrupted as they were, as, as they were passed down. You have books in the Catholic Bible as well. Um, um, added texts like the Maccabees 1 and 2, uh, Bell and the Dragon. Now, um, uh, those books were not included in our canon. Okay, Now, Rome thought that those books should be included in the canon. And now, um, Nicaea is very, very, they were, they were very, very particular in um, the authority of Scripture. And it was very, very important that certain pronouncements from prophets be made when they claim to have a message from God. And that proclamation is, thus said the Lord. Now, in some of the prophetic books in the Catholic Bible that were not included in the Protestant canon, um, were said to be written by Daniel, the bell and the dragon, by the prophet Daniel. But here again, if this is the prophet Daniel, he missed the most important pronouncement um, in, his, in his divulging. Okay, And that is, thus said the Lord. So we didn't include those in the Protestant scriptures. The book of Maccabees 1 and 2 are very, very important books historically. And every Christian should read them. Um, I believe that they are important. Because it gives you a, an understanding of what life was like in times of extreme persecution uh, for the Jews. I want to give you an example of accuracy and of transmission in action. Um, in 1946, there was an archaeological discovery made um, near the Dead Sea, the West Bank area, and um, in a place where there is a, a, a series of caves uh, at Qumran is the name of the site. The caves of Qumran. There are 12 caves. And in those caves, they there were, um, I guess it was some little shepherd boy or something throwing rocks in the cave. And he heard something shatter. Um, and when he went inside the cave to look, it was, um, it was a, um, a cave full of scrolls. Okay, so naturally, we went in, we grabbed those scrolls. And it took him about 10 years to interpret the text. And they were, they were, they, they were um, Jewish scriptures. Okay, um, a large cache of scripture. I think Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, in um, a, a, a full, intact, twenty-four foot scroll was amongst that, and a bunch of other Jewish apocalyptic literature. But the literature that they did, what well, the stuff that they did come up with before that, um, the the number one standard um, for our scriptures were represented by the Masoretic texts. Okay, and the Masoretic, the, the problem with that was the Masoretic text dated back is, is, is just as far as the 10th century. Okay, now the significance of the Dead Sea Scrolls was that they dated back later than any other text that we had so far, um, any other Hebrew text that we had so far. So these uh, these of texts dated back to 300. BC, and that was very, very important. So, it took approximately ten years for um, 
for scholars to filter through the text, the Desi Scroll text, and, you know, to bring all of that good material to light. And when they did, something amazing happened. They compared the books to the books of the Masoretic text, and it came back 95% accurate. The missing 5%, they say, was due to um, small grammatical changes, of course, over a thousand years, um, and a slippage of the pen from sloppy writing. I guess scribes get tired too. <laughs> Pretty interesting if you if you ask me. Now, once again, I thank you for joining uh, us today at Theus Secularia, the hypocrite. And as I mentioned before, and I always do, this is listener-supported podcast. And if you would like to support this podcast, so that we can continue forward and make more. Um, Support us by visiting our web store at www.theistsecularia.com. Until next time, God bless people. Say no. (laughs) No, absolutely not. And so, and also um, understanding um, the uh, accuracy of transmission is, you know, as a as a as a part of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, it was that was a very 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 important find, um, and I 